junior high ministry with Justin Herman. All this and more on Youth and Culture. Hey guys, if you're new to the podcast and you're listening in, my name is Ryan Sebastian. This week, I'm super excited that we got to interview uh, Justin Herman. Justin Herman is the host of the podcast Controlled Chaos, which is a phenomenal podcast about junior high ministry. Again, I'm super pumped to be talking to him about the importance of junior high ministry and just different aspects of how to improve ministry, specifically reaching junior high. So tune in as we interview Justin Herman. guys, I am super, super excited to have uh, Justin Herman on the podcast today. Justin is a fellow podcaster and host of the Controlled Chaos podcast. Again, I'll let him talk a little bit about that here in just a second, but I'm super, super excited to have him. Okay, Justin, for those who don't know who you are, kind of kind of talk about your journey in youth ministry and how you end up where you are today. Well, it all started in Buffalo, New York. I uh, was a volunteer at a really great church. A friend of mine um, brought me to that church. And when I was trying to figure out what I was doing with my life, I was studying international business at the time, studying Chinese. I was going to go make a ton of money. and But I was also miserable inside. Like I was bored. I was miserable. I, was, I felt unfulfilled. And my college pastor, a guy named Wes Aram, said, well, where are you serving? I said, nowhere. And he said, you should serve um, in... Uh, in the youth ministry, you know, while you give it a shot, like he, he recommended I serve a couple different places. I tried out kids ministry at first and it went completely wrong. Like I'm not made for kids ministry. So, uh, so then I started, tried something else, right. You kind of test it out, started serving in the student ministry, loved it. And I never left. I, I was there for uh, five, three years. And then I left for college to study youth ministry. i got my degree in youth ministry moved to California to work at a church in Huntington Beach, which was awesome. From there, I got recruited out, went to Mariner's Church, one of the biggest churches in the country, and led the junior high ministry there um, for a little less than a decade, and then moved to a church called Sandals Church, uh, where I lasted nine months. I actually was let go um, a few months ago because it just wasn't a good fit, wasn't a good fit for them, wasn't a good fit for me. I was miserable. They were miserable. Um, And then I've been... uh, I'm kind of laying low, taking it easy, um, still doing the podcast, which I love, going back to Mariner's Church, so we were going back to the church I used to work at, um, and I started just, I recently just started doing sales um, for a buddy's company um, until I kind of figure out what my next step is, and I'm going to give it some time, and I'm probably going to volunteer at Mariner's in the youth ministry there, um, and that, that's what I'm doing. That's great. I, I think one of the hardest things... And ministry is, 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 especially when you're transitioning between churches, trying to figure things out, 
living the unknown that's probably to me that's probably one of the most difficult things and but because i've been there trying to figure out what god what god what you're doing i'm kind of asking god to just give me give me peace give me insight so, yeah man, I, I, i'm praying for you man i appreciate that yeah there. you know what well, you know what you're talking about is 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 really praying for wisdom you know wisdom and how to react when the whole thing happens because you know the church you don't want to slam the church but church fires you like that if it hurts and it doesn't mean the church hurt you the big c church but that one individual church did um you know you start to pray for discernment and wisdom when you know people start you know they're going to hire somebody and you know it's it, it, the whole thing becomes difficult you know i, I got a, a friend um that applied there and uh, and i'll be honest with you like it actually kind of hurt kind of blindsided me and you know you got to pray for wisdom like how do you deal with that when you know it's just the whole thing's complicated it's far more complex um you can't deal with it in a pithy way so so yeah i i appreciate that and i and yeah for the, i've talked to hundreds of youth pastors who've been there and for those who've been there um you know they know that sometimes it's a difficult lonely confusing road um, you know, that's why you pray for wisdom absolutely so see the um... So the reason why, for those of you who are listening, the reason why I wanted to talk to Justin today is to talk specifically about junior high ministry. Um, yes, I love junior highs. I love junior high ministry. love that age group. The reason I want to talk about it specifically is, is, is because I, I think in, in smaller church, in the demographic of smaller churches, sometimes I feel like junior highs, middle school that age group is kind of sometimes left in the dust. Uh, and the reason why I, I say that is because sometimes we have so much focus on senior high, that age group, because there is a fear of losing senior high in your in our ministries once they have the freedom to drive, quote unquote, make the freedom to make their own choices. And, and I think there's sometimes we have so much focus on them, which they need it. They need to have the same focus on all age groups. But we lose lose some of our ministry opportunities that we have uh, with junior high. So, Justin, a question I have for you is: is, is I want you to to kind of elaborate of how important really is junior high ministry? Well, so coming from a, a seasoned junior high guy, I I really think that junior high ministry is the most important ministry in the church. And I know a lot of people are going to hear that; they're going to roll their eyes immediately. But let me let me explain my position. Um, you know, the junior high years are the first years um, that they're making that transition in, from from you know the concrete thinker that's black, you know everything's black and white, to the abstract thinker um, that's starting to to parse through questions, work through questions in a different way. Um, they're starting to decide what they what they believe and don't believe, and I'm and I'm, I'm not talking about the college years deciding, you know, I had a great conversation with someone the other day who said they think college ministry is the most important ministry in the church because you know, they're finally out of the house and like, they're really deciding. Yeah. You know, I agree with that. You know, they're at college, they're paying their own bills. Like, you know, yeah, you, at that age, you got to figure out what you believe, what you don't believe, who you're going to be, you know, who you're going to marry, what you're going to do with your life. Mm -hmm. um, but if you miss that first opportunity, it makes every future opportunity more difficult. So I, I liken it to cement. Right? I, I, I uh, my father-in-law owns a construction company. Um, it's really a cement, you know, basically a cement company. 
Um, they you know, cut cement and they remove cement and they lay new cement, the whole thing. And so I went to the job site with them one time and saw them mixing the cement and just all the machines. And it's not a gigantic company that has like the big um, cement mixing trucks. Like they still have kind of like the small ones. They kind of load off the truck and roll there and they, they mix them and whatnot. Um, you know, for bigger jobs, they they rent stuff. But the, you know, the things they own are small. And, you know, he's a a solid follower of Jesus, my father-in-law, I've been following him 40 years. And so he has more wisdom, more experience, you know, than I do. So we're just talking as the cement is mixing and he just kind of gives a casual statement of, um, you know, it's, it's really easy to control And I'm paraphrasing it really mm. easy to control the cement, you know, to, to shape the cement. It's really easy um, to maneuver the cement when it's wet, but when it's dry, all you're doing is chipping away to get it the way you want it to look. And that hit me like a ton of bricks because uh, I love the cement, cement analogy when it comes to church, when it comes to youth ministry. You know, junior high, we have the chance to mix the cement, insert all the ingredients in the cement. If the cement is still wet, they're still figuring out who they are, who they're going to be. They're learning stuff for the first time. The cement is still wet. We can maneuver it. We can not manipulate it, but we can help shape it. I think that's, you know, when you think of the potter, you know, the illustration of Jesus as the potter and we're the clay. He's not manipulating us. He's shaping us. He's helping bring form to us. So when that cement hardens, though, for a student, the ministry, and especially the ministry of high school, and this, it, to me, is why it gets so much more attention, because it's a lot harder work in high school. Now, I want to be really clear. I think junior high ministry is the most important ministry in the church. I didn't say that it's the hardest ministry in the church. I think high school ministry is a really hard ministry, especially if you don't have a great junior high ministry. I would absolutely agree. And the reason reason is because you spend your high school years then trying to chip away at the cement that's already hardened. Well, of, of course, that's going to take more time, more money, more resources. Now, I want you to know, when I started in youth ministry at Mariners, I was young and I was also kind of a jerk and I have a really abrasive, sometimes aggressive personality. I think I've mellowed out a lot, but when I was 20, you know, six, 27 years old, um, I was not mellow at all. And so when we had, uh, at one point at Mariners, we had the largest high school ministry staff, um, I think in the, in the, definitely in the country, and I think in the world, um, for one church, one campus, we had 16 full-time, full-time salaried wow. staff, not all of them were salaried, full-time staff members in our high school That's ministry. Insane. That is insane. They really, really experienced that. 16 full-time people. And in junior high, we had, uh, at the time we had uh, six people, which by the way, is still huge. Like that, that's you, anyone yeah. listening being like, wait, you had six staff members. Like, Oh my God, for what? That's insane. But we had a high school ministry of 600 kids, the, our junior high ministry of 600 kids. And we had a high school ministry of, you know, of 300 kids. And they, they were trying to figure out how do we figure this whole thing out? Uh, in our high school ministry, it was so complicated. And I used to be so frustrated and I would voice my frustration in the most unhealthy ways, because I just didn't get it. Why you, do you put so much money into the high school? Why do you put so much resources? Why, what if you put all those into junior high? Imagine what it could look like. The truth is that junior high ministry is a lot easier. Kids are going to show up. They're going to show up for dodgeball and, and goofy stuff. 
Um, now they're not going to stay for those things, but they'll show up for those things once. Then we keep them with the relationship. But if you're not making an impact during those junior high years, it absolutely makes the high school years, the college years so much more difficult so that you have to then spend more money, more time, more resources, because again, you're chipping away um, at a hardened, sometimes a hardened heart, sometimes a hardened perspective. Sometimes um, it's a, it's a hardened um, personality or um, a, a hardened posture toward Jesus, toward faith, toward the church. Um, and, you know, this culture we live in now is completely batty. You know, the, the culture we live in now that, you know, whatever satisfies you, you can do it immediately. Whatever feels good, go ahead and do it. Um, whatever you think is right, whatever is your truth, you know, your truth is your truth. And, and whatever that is, is fine. And it's like, no, that's actually not fine. Like that thing that you think is your truth, it's actually really immoral and, and terrible. And, and that's going to deteriorate your soul. And, and it's going to cause your friends to dislike you and your family to be embarrassed by you. Like that's not a good thing. But because we haven't spent the time in the junior high years for forming faith, we're just playing dodgeball, doing goofy stuff. And, and so th that speaks to the, the need for quality junior high ministry, not just a fun junior high ministry, although the universal language of junior high is fun, but a quality junior high ministry um, that's forming faith so that high school ministry, college ministry does not become the ministry about chipping away at stuff. Um, it becomes the ministry of building off of stuff. Um, so that's my short slash long explanation or answer um, to that question. But the, it, it's something that I've seen, I've experienced, I've lived it. It's important. It's something to wrestle through. It's not a silver bullet. doesn't mean, oh, if I put all my money into junior high, it's going to solve every problem. It's not going to solve every single problem. But I haven't seen a solution yet that has uh, been um, as compelling as let's plant a flag in the sand where we know the bat, we know for sure the battle's going to take place there. If I was Satan, which I'm not, by the way, no matter who you talk to, I'm not. The I devil. hope not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not the devil. Doesn't matter who you talk to. I'm not the devil. But if I was the devil, and I was a crouching lion waiting to devour, I would wait for the first opportunity, the first moment that a kid started questioning that mom and dad aren't right just because they said so. Mm -hmm. I would look for that moment. I would look for the moment where a kid said, well, I don't know if I believe the pastor. I don't know if I believe this, the adult just because they're taller than me. Uh, I don't know if I believe that. I'd wait for that moment to insert every question, every doubt, um, every concern I'd wait for, because that's what Satan would do. He'd wait for that moment to insert every temptation, every, like, you know, third graders are not thinking about, you know, third grade boys are not thinking about naked girls. There's not thinking, there's, <laughs> there's not, I'm friends with kids pastors. Pornography is not a, a deal in second, third grade. Now, yeah, they're yeah, out, not as much. I agree. There's outlier stories. Okay, there's outlier stories, outlier things, and some of that has to do with the family. If there's pornography in the house on a regular basis, like you know, if you older brother or sister who's exposing him to pornography, so like, there's things that warp the some of that, some of those data points. But uh, on the, the on the basic level, third graders, fourth graders are not concerned with that. Um, it's not as appealing to them as it is to a sixth, seventh, eighth grader. 
as they're going through puberty. A big part of puberty is the activation of the sec- the, the sexual desire um, mm-hmm. the, 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 uh, of a young adolescent. I mean, God made us that way. That we get to that age and we start to look at boys and girls differently. We start to, you know, girls develop breasts. Boys, you know, start to have you know, a higher level of testosterone. Um, so, and they're, you know, they're getting wet dreams more frequently. So, I mean, it, it, I'm saying these things in a very casual way, but we know this is the, the uh, development of an early adolescent. If I was Satan, that's exactly where I would insert every temptation, everything that's going to pull a kid away. Um, every every piece of media that says this is what you should look like, this is what a relationship should look like, I would get them to fall into something tragic then because it makes my job, if I'm Satan, makes my job a lot easier because then I've inserted all this bad stuff, the cement is hardened, and then I'm looking at the pastors saying, hey, good luck, grab your chisel, hope, hope, you, have, hope you have the time for this because I've really messed this kid up and it's going to take you a while to get that now. We know the, the the thing that breaks through all of it is the truth of the gospel. But man, see, we know kids, some of them are so hardened to it, they just can't hear that. And so, you know, the, the you know, reading a Bible verse of, you know, God loves you and we need to love one another. What well, sounds really good. But if a kid's like, well, I don't know if I believe in God at all. So why do I care about what he thinks about who I should love or not love? Well, well then where do you go from there? Well, I know where you go. You go back to the friggin' future. That's one of my favorite movies, by the way. And start making some changes. I mean, imagine if we went in back into a kid's life, made changes when they're young. It would, it would, it would change everything. That's why I'm so passionate about that idea. We need to plant the flag where the biggest battle will take place, and that happens in their young years. No, I, I absolutely. From for, even for me personally, if I if I had to go back in time. And to my adolescent self, if I had to pick a point and go back in time, it would be a junior high. It would be roughly sixth, seventh grade years, because that's the years that I struggled with depression, to struggle with suicide, that's questioning things. So, and if I'm looking at even evaluating myself, that's the years that I had a lot of doubt. I, I other than my dad. Uh, and, my, and my parents, I didn't really, in my youth pastor, I didn't really have a whole lot of people to talk about my doubts, what I was dealing with. So I told, I told, absolutely agree. And then again, that was, that was uh, late nineties, early two thousands. Uh, this generation that's coming up now, uh, generation Z has a whole new level of issues like no other generation had to deal with before. So I, I absolutely agree. And, and I agree with the, uh, so I agree with you. Um, Oftentimes we look at them as issues. I'm not saying that they're not issues. I, I, I agree with that word. Um, and it's because I agree with it that I want to throw it, throw it out the window because yeah, yeah they, <clears throat> they have the, the largest amount of issues. They're most globally connected. Like the, the things they're dealing with, struggling with, you know, even just, po- even just politically. I remember when I was a kid, we would watch, we would in class, we'd watch like the state of the union We'd watch the inauguration. That stuff does, isn't happening right now. Like the, it, even even the adults are acting like children. So oh, I agree. What if we looked at this season, this time, as an opportunity instead of a problem? And, and and no one thinks of it like an opportunity. Like even I don't think of it as an opportunity. I think the whole things, the whole everything about the world's chaotic right now. 
but we're mm-hmm. forced to look at it as an opportunity because opportunity denotes a strategy where uh, where things are just a mess, and, you know, that, that just denotes complaining um, and feeling defeated in some ways. Like, this is so difficult. It's insurmountable. How are we ever going to do it? Uh, how are they ever going to get it? There's so many other things vying for their attention. Okay, like, that's a, that's a way to look at it. Or you could say, this is the best, this is a great opportunity. They are the most globally connected. So how are we going to connect with them? You know, they, they are asking real questions. Maybe that means we can put the, the cheesy curriculum away and start talking about LGBT stuff, start talking about them and their gay friends at school and, and you know, why they're, you know, they're, why we need to believe in Jesus and, and, you know, what does it mean to die to yourself? What does it mean um, to really have humility? What does it mean um, you know, to, to not put drugs, you know, in, in vaping pens in your system because it destroys the temple. What does that really mean? Um, you know, real conversations, you know, why is it not good to have sex? Sex is awesome. Everyone says sex is great, but we can't do it at all until we get married. It doesn't make sense to me. That doesn't fit in the, well, if it feels good now, do it, you know, thing that I'm being taught. Great. Well, let's talk about that because I actually think you should wait till you get married um, I think having sex before you're married is a bad idea. Um, I, I think that if you get pregnant, you know, having an abortion isn't a real option. That's insane. I think it's insane that we tell young girls that. I think it's insane we tell young boys their masculinity um, is dictated by the amount of uh, nude pics they have in their phone of, of girls and the amount of, you know, girl stories they can share in the locker room. That's still a real thing. I think that's embarrassing. I think that's gross. I think it teaches young boys uh, to be total jerks. I think it teaches young girls that they're property, not people. So this is the great opportunity we as a church are going to have. And I'll be honest with you, it feels like we're striking out a lot. It feels like we we don't really want to talk about LGBT stuff. We don't really want to, we want to say that we are for transgender kids coming to to church or to summer camp, but man, oh man, 99% of churches out there maybe 95%, 99 is pretty high, 95% of churches out there, if they had a transgender kid show up to camp, they wouldn't even know what to do. They would be completely up in arms. They would be confused. The elders in the church, some of them would be angry and frustrated and um, because we have no real plan, no real strategy for connecting the most disconnected kids. Now, again, I think junior high ministry is the most important ministry in the church. If we have those answers ready for junior hires who are the first you know, usually the first groups that go to overnight away camps. Um, they're usually the first groups that do um, small groups in homes, um, or at least in the way that, and I know, again, every church is different. There's always outliers. The kids ministry um, at our church did not encourage leaders to get kids cell phone numbers and to go to their sports games. They just didn't encourage that in the kids ministry, but we encourage that in student ministry all the time. So if this is the first, you know, years that we're going to say, hey, we want leaders to be involved in their life and we want, you know, all the kids to come to camp and but yet we're not prepared for the outcome of that. Um, It seems kind of foolish. That's why one of the reasons I think junior high ministry is the most important ministry in the church. Uh, You actually you actually made a good point, which is that it's it's kind of it kind of interesting that some of some of the points you're talking about making is is because I got to preach uh, for graduation Sunday uh, the Sunday that a lot of the points you're making because I'm I'm talking about adolescence and a lot of what you're saying is as I'm going to be discussing there as well because it it is true that we a lot of times uh, in youth ministry but especially outside of youth ministry uh, focus on 
uh, quote unquote problems of a generation rather than seeing it as an opportunity. Cause, cause the flip side of, of this of generation Z Gen Z, the flip side of, of this is that they're the most open generation than ever before. Oh yeah. Um, uh, most open for you to have conversations, spiritual conversations. They're, they're, mo- they're more, they're more into building relationships, which to me is the biblical way of discipleship. It's not by uh, throwing a bunch of facts and, and trying to win them that way. It's, it's, so it's a lot more relational. Uh, this generation is a lot more relation, relational than it. And so to me, it, it's an, it's a complete open opportunity that I think the church as a whole, the American church is not jumping on board. Uh, we're, cause we're losing, uh, in some ways, this generation, when you look at research and, uh, that's been done, multiple research from Barna, others, they're all saying the same thing that this is, uh, looks like it's trending to being the most unreached generation than ever before. Well, you know, it's the same reason that when your, uh, your wife asks you, do I look fat in this dress? You don't even need to look at her. You say, of course not. No, you, you don't look fat in that dress. You look beautiful in that dress. You don't even know, need to know what she looks like in the dress to know that the wrong answer is, well, yeah, I think we're not willing to be honest with each other. That's the point. We're not willing to say, yeah, actually, you do look fat in that dress. That dress does not fit you well. It does not look good. Now, I, you might think, oh, my gosh, that's such a mean, terrible thing to say. Here's the thing. This generation, unlike other generations, actually wants to handle the difficult conversation. They don't want to sidestep it. They don't want to act like it's not real. They don't want to walk around, you know, you know, looking fat in the dress and be like, oh, well, thank goodness no one is telling me that I look terrible. They, they, ju- they actually want to say, hey, tell me what you think. I want to know. I mean, it's very Tarzan, right? I want to know, you know, what's the, the guy who wrote the song for Tarzan, the Disney movie? I want to yeah. know, can you show me? All right, so I'm not a singer, but I remember the lyrics. And that's the idea, right? This generation says, I want to know, can you show me? Are you willing to have the conversation? And our church youth ministries are emptying out because we're not willing to do that. Like, I, I think kids heard enough about some of the clever Bible stories, they they actually want to, and I'm not making this up, they actually want to talk about their gay friend. I heard that that if you're gay, you don't go to heaven because being gay is a sin. Well, my friend Johnny at school and his boyfriend Chris, they're they're awesome. They're nice. They don't bully me. They, they don't talk badly about people. They always, always have a smile on their face. Like, they don't do weird PDA. Like, they're just two normal guys in a relationship and they're gay. Like you're telling me that God's going to send them to hell. What's that about? And we're like, uh, 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 well, you know, th- that's a really good question to ask. Uh, well, this week come to church and we're going to be talking about, uh, the, the, how Moses parted the red sea and how that he can part things in your life too. Uh, I hope you bring a friend. Uh, it, you know, there's free coffee and pizza at seven and we start at seven 30 and it's like, that's not working. That's not working. And nobody wants to be honest with that's not working. That's why youth ministries are emptying of kids because kids want to talk about their friend Johnny at school who's gay, who you're saying and the church is saying is going to hell, but they don't understand that. And they're willing to talk about it, but we're not willing to talk about it because we're so afraid of, I don't know what we're afraid of. We're afraid of that 
older adults not getting it or were afraid of winding up on some social media video and getting all this bad attention or being the church and getting picketed. I, I don't know what we're worried about, but I'm telling you, Satan has so much joy when we're not willing to engage in tough conversations. Nothing makes Satan happier than us passing the ball on tough conversations. Absolutely. Well, man, um, that break kind of brings up uh, into the next question that I wanted I wanted to to bring up with you is is and this is and the reason why I wanted to ask you this question is because again I I've been struggling with this in my own ministry. I think that especially I, I would say especially smaller churches because they have a less of a pool of volunteers. They deal most of them deal with this, but is why why do adults avoid serving? In junior high ministry, oh god, why do they why do they avoid it? And and and, oh, I'll tell and you how why. do you overcome that? Oh, how I'll do you overcome you it? I'll tell you why. Oh my gosh, I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> I know the answer. I know the answer because I've literally asked the exact same question, be and and I got hit in the face with it. So I once uh, there's one of the elders in our church, really great guy, asked if I could grab lunch with them, ask us some questions. And the guy, he's, he was the CEO of some business, you know, local business and want to spend time with them. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And we spent time together. And, and then he's like, Hey, well, you know, why don't you come by, why don't you come by uh, the office? Uh, you know, we're having a, a meeting. I'm doing a leadership talk. You come, come join in, just be a fly on the wall. And I'm like, sounds great. And he gives an incredible leadership talk to it, to his staff, a lot of executives, you know, directors, business people. And, uh, and we were hanging out after, and I had nothing to do for the day, so I just hung out. And at the end, I said, man, you, you should come serve in junior high sometimes. You know, right, we're always looking for leaders. You know, I'll, I, I, the pitch is always going. I'm always looking for leaders. And he said, can I be honest with you, Justin? So this is the answer to your question. This is the answer to your question. At least from my perspective, this is the answer. He said, can I be honest with you, Justin? I said, absolutely. He said, I run a, a $200 million company. I have a lot of responsibility. I cast a lot of big vision. Um, I, I, I feel like I, you know, I, I can handle a lot. And sleeping on the floor with a bunch of students at an overnighter does not appeal to me. Is there, what else can I, what else could I do in the junior high ministry? And the answer was, I didn't have much else. You know, and, and I'm not making light of the sleeping on the floor at the, the overnighter, you know, being a small group leader, that's great. But one of the biggest reasons, this is my big takeaway from the conversation with them, the biggest reasons that adults aren't serving, it's so difficult for adults to serve, is that they are capable of a lot, but we're not handing a lot of the ministry over. You know, when you have people in your church who are business leaders, professionals, um, experts in their field, and then they come to the church and we want them to just be the hangout person, the buddy, the pal, um, we're not willing to really hand over pieces of the ministry. We're, it doesn't allow us to attract the best talent. We're holding on to the ministry too tightly. And then the second thing is we're not having enough diversity and options. You know, if the only option of serving your junior high ministry is well, the only thing we have are small group leaders. So come be a small group leader. There's only one level of entry. Or we only have small group leaders and we only have a welcome team. So either you can be a small group leader with a group of you know, 12 kids, or you could be at the front door welcoming kids and checking kids in. Well, 
if I run a $200 million company, neither one of those are interesting to me. But yet when the person comes to me and says, hey, we want to launch a ministry in Africa, partnering with a church in Africa, and then we want to start taking yearly missions trips to Africa. There's so many operational things. There's so many organizational things that would need to happen. There's so much relational. There's so much financial. But, and, but we need someone to really take that and move that forward. Can you be the guy? Well, the $200 million business CEO guy is like, yeah, that's right up my alley. Creating something, building something, big leadership, executive leadership, big budgets, you know, relationships, international, that's attractive. So could we go to that same leader and say, hey, we, we want to start taking students internationally, but we don't know where to start. There's all these different things that, you know, and travel and all these different pieces, but you seem to have such an expertise, such a knowledge in the organizational, the operational. Would you be willing to help us launch um, the missions aspect of our youth ministry? Well, now you got his attention. And it's not because you, it's not because you went into it with this vision of, well, any, any leader is a small group leader. No, you created opportunities that leveraged and attracted the people that are in your church right now. And that is the biggest thing and the thing that we're not doing. That's why it makes it so difficult for us to get leaders. That's, that's actually a good point that I never, I, I've thought of, uh, I've do it, but I didn't realize I was actually doing it, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's fitting people's gifts and, and a role of serving in our ministry. Because uh, that goes back to when uh, I read a book probably about a year or two ago called Sustainable Youth Ministry. Mm. Uh, I, f- I forget the author. I can't remember his name. Mark DeVries. Mark DeVries. Yes, yes. Because one, one of the problems within a smaller church content, uh, context, and for me, for me personally, and this is my definition of a smaller church, is five, 500 or lower. 500 in attendance or lower. And again, that's because the, the church I grew up in is much larger. Uh, the church I served at previously is much larger. So I'm used to larger context churches. But if and if you're in a church uh, about 500 or lower, it a lot of the youth ministry itself does revolve around one person, revolves around the student pastor, uh, typically for most smaller churches. Yeah, uh, they, they do try to build a team. Uh, and they do have either small group leaders or whatnot. So they'd have a team around them, but the day-to-day function of the ministry pretty much falls on their shoulders. So after, after reading that book, one thing, my goal, uh, has been, and it is continuing. I'm not there yet, but I'm moving that way. Trying is putting people in positions of our youth ministry to basically, if, if something happened to me, uh, our student ministry would be hundred percent fine. Oh yeah, because uh, every it's sustainable from from worship to events to uh, teaching, everything is sustainable and doesn't revolve around one individual. Doesn't revolve around me. Uh, so it's, it's, I've been so part of that. I've actually been looking, uh, moving towards putting people in positions that base uh, fits their gifts. But at the same time, I do have to say that when it comes to because one thing that in, in our context and get a smaller church. It's just hard to find anyone willing to serve, and that and that that is a problem across the board in churches all over uh, America. They all have the same issue, but for a smaller church, I think I think it hits them a little bit harder because uh, again, they have a little bit a little bit smaller pool of people uh, to find, to ask, 
they're very limited. Um, like for instance, our area is we have a low. It, it's a, one of the highest poverty's rate in my state, state of North Carolina. So it's very hard to, to find. Like for instance, this big CEO for, who can put it together. Some, it may be a little bit harder to fit the pieces together in certain aspects of my ministry. So it, it's a. I, uh, it, I I totally agree. That's what you need to do. But it's, it's still, I would say, it's for me at least, and I and probably churches in my context, and may I, th- I feel like it's still in the same time, it's still a little bit hard. Because I, because again, I I've been the church I've served at is not big as Mariners, nowhere close to being that big in that context. But we have the same way. Our our youth ministry I served at, and when I was in seminary, we had over two hundred kids, and we had a good knot. We probably had close to I would say. 60 to 70 people, small groups, uh, administrative people. So it was, it was, it was, we had a same, same type of context as Mariners, but we had a big pool of people to ask and serve. And I think for smaller churches, I don't know if, and maybe I'm reading it wrong. Uh, I think it's, sometimes I think it's just hard. Yeah. You know, it, it is just hard. Recruiting is difficult. You know, the, when it comes to just the general recruiting, uh, I'm a, a three-step guy, a three-step strategy. I've talked about it a bunch. I've talked about it on my podcast. I think episode two of my podcast talk about recruiting. Um, you know, knowing the pitch, um, saying yes to, you know, as much as you can, um, and, uh, and the cold ask, like being able to go up to someone and just, and just make the ask and exchange information, get them to the table. So like, there's a lot of sales techniques that go into it. Um, you know, it's really easy stuff. Like you get, if you get someone to have the product in their hand, you know, they're like what 30% more likely to purchase it. You know, if you get someone as a vol- a potential volunteer to sit down with you for a cup of coffee, you know, their per- whatever made up percentage you want to make, I don't have a good percentage off the top of my head, but they're X percent more likely to serve in the ministry because they're already taking a step in that direction. You know, now you just got to share with them about what God's doing in the ministry and how they could be a part of it and, and, and get them to go through the process. The, and I think one of the things too is, I could talk a lot more about recruiting, but one of the things too is we always, and maybe it's not you, maybe, you know, I know it's not me, maybe it's not you, maybe it's not a lot of your listeners, but sometimes we tend to limit the pool we're looking at. When the truth is anyone, we have to have the mindset, anyone can be a great volunteer. The process we have will be the thing to um, eliminate people. You know, they, they, they think they can be a great volunteer. They go through the process. Turns out they have an insane background. Background check comes back. It's bad. We can't have them as volunteer. Okay, they're off the list. But if we look at someone and say, oh, you look like you're just too old, or you look like you aren't fun, or you look like – and we make these, these surface-level assessments. You know, Samuel talks about this. You know, when, it, when he came to selecting the next king of Israel, um, what did he say? He got all the sons of Jesse together. None of them were the guy. David comes out, and he says the most powerful line of all time, right? Uh, people look at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And I think when it comes to recruiting too often, we're looking at the outside. We're looking at the things that we think. Um, but if you were to pull your students, pull them, and ask them you know, what they're looking for in a leader, um, they're not going to list the superficial things that I think we tend to look for. Um, we think, oh, they got to be young, they got to be exciting, maybe newly married, um, you know, and uh, have a lot of energy. 
Yeah, that's what you need. A lot of young single people who are inexperienced, who lack wisdom, a new married couple. Yeah, let's add a lot of stress onto the first years of their marriage. And, you know, they, they definitely want to be hanging out with kids. They don't want to be at home in bed with each other. They definitely want to be hanging out with kids. Like, that's what they want to do. They, they, you know, it's insane. Like, of course, we, have a, we want those leaders, but we also want the leaders who are in their 40s and their 50s. Like, we also want the leaders in their 60s. Um, we want the empty nesters. Um, we, we want the middle-of-the-road people who are in their 30s. Um, we don't want all, you know, 19 through 24-year-olds and just a ministry made up of that. When we start to open up the pool, we start to sp- find ourselves speaking more in the elderly ministry. We find ourselves speaking more um, and rotating through women's ministry and men's ministry and groups ministry um, and really just putting the the ask in front of everyone um, and, and looking at any everyone as they could be a great leader in junior high ministry. Now, again, the process will be the thing that weeds them out. But if we already start with, oh, well, they don't have the look or they're not the right person, um, then we're going to, we're going to end up regretting it. Man, yeah, I totally agree with it. I, I've, I've always said some, to me, some of the best leaders in, and, uh, and youth ministry is the empty nesters. Uh, and that's someone we, that's, that's an age group that I believe as well that youth ministries kind of overlook because uh, we're so focused on the young kids, like we need someone who's excited, hyped up, we need someone in their twenties, someone that can that can quote unquote relate better to them. So I, I absolutely agree. One one last question, well maybe the last question, but one one of the last questions I have for you is, what are some strategies in ministering and discipling junior high students that would be beneficial for smaller churches? Yeah, I think smaller churches have the best opportunity. Um, you know, every small church doesn't want to stay small. If they did, they're, they're missing the whole point of the Great Commission. Um, but they have a great opportunity while they're small um, to do something that's to instill a system that's healthy, that can have longevity, um, that isn't reliant on, uh, on uh, you know, goofy things or, or financial things in order to be successful, which I love. Um, if I was a smaller church, the things I would focus on when it comes to discipleship, um, obviously is groups, number one thing I'd focus on, um, but then how to get groups into homes. That to me is so vital. When you can get an incarnational ministry and, and really lead that as a strategy. So you asked me for a strategy. That's my, that'd be my specific strategy. Incarnational ministry. When you can, in young life, they totally get this. When you can get a group of students um, or a group of leaders um, to understand the importance of having Emily and you know Nikki and Amanda over because over the house, and all we're gonna do is just do laundry and hang out um, and just live life for an afternoon. Um, that is great youth ministry. When you can have Bobby and Billy over, um, to and we're gonna mow the lawn and we're gonna you know. Um, and we're going to change the oil in the car. There's more discipleship that happens under the hood of a car for boys um, that ever happened uh, around a circle with a Bible. And, and that's just the truth. And in a small church, you can, if you can instill that culture when the church is small and keep it going as it grows, you will have a tr- a tr- not only a tremendous youth ministry, but you'll have one that will be remembered for literally for generations. Because I can't remember a single Bible study that I ever did with my youth pastor. My youth pastor was awesome. 
Tony Spino, bald head, just like me, super cool guy. But you know what I remember? I remember that uh, on Wednesday nights before youth group, we would go and me, him and my buddy Jeff and my buddy John, um, who I don't talk to either of those guys anymore. We would go into the basement of the youth center, which was just a house then, and we would lift weights. Now, keep in mind, we're in junior high, and this is like in the in the, the 90s. So this is before, you know, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, you know, don't have kids lifting weights. Like their bodies are going to, you know, explode or, you know, whatever the, 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 the deal is. We would go in there and lift weights and just talk. And if someone was to ask me, hey, what are the, what's the most powerful memory you have from junior high? I would say without skipping a beat, oh, I was lifting weights with, with Tony in the basement of the youth center with my buddies. Because that experience is bigger than any conversation. Um, when you can have experiences with students, I mean, real experiences, it changes everything, changes the entire conversation. Um, so I'd encourage that highly, highly. Yeah, dude, man, I, I 100% agree. I personally think the most important thing you can do in a youth ministry is building relationships with students outside of a church building. And to me, it's the most important thing because, because especially every generation builds off relationships, but this generation coming up, I think it's even more important. Oh, absolutely. Uh, they, they feed off of relationships, I think more than any other generation. Uh, one thing I tell them, I tell my uh, small group leaders is I tell them that, well, I actually asked them uh, about a couple of years ago to name, tell me, tell me a lesson that your youth pastor uh, spoke. See if you can tell me word for word or what it was about. And none of them, none of them can answer. None of them can think of it. Then I was asking. Then I asked him, "Can you think of a time we had a relationship and hanging out with your youth leaders or, or youth pastor outside of a church building and them investing in you?" And all of them raising their hands. They remember that more than they do a sermon slash lesson on a, on a midweek program or Sunday Sunday morning. Absolutely. Um, so, I, so I absolutely agree with that, man. Yeah. That's the deal, man. Well, well, Justin, I appreciate you coming out to the podcast and again and taking out your time of your day. If 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 somebody wanted to get connected with you to kind of either ask more about uh, junior high ministry or ministry in general, what's the best way to get connected with you? Uh, you could email me anytime, Justin Herman at controlledcast.fun. Definitely check out the podcast, Controlledcast podcast. Um, not as good as this podcast. But it's a it's a pretty it's an okay junior high ministry podcast, and uh, you can hit me up on Instagram anytime, uh, or Twitter at Hey Justin Herman or Facebook too. I was really lucky to get all three that match. So Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Hey Justin Herman, and uh, and I'll send you some stuff. You can throw links in the show notes, so it'll be really easy for them to get a hold of me. And and, and I'm available anytime. I love talking junior high ministry. I love talking strategy and and how to build a system that works. And I'd be I'd be honored to have any conversation with anyone. All right, Justin, man, I really do appreciate you coming on the podcast. And again, man, it was, it was great having you. Absolutely, dude. Have a good one. Well, guys, just like you heard from Justin Herman, do not skip out on junior high ministry. I know sometimes this age group may seem like they're, it's hard. They're transitioning from elementary age to adolescence. They smell. They need deodorant. They're changing. Motion's changing but you do not need to skip out on this generation and this phase of adolescence. 
Because if you want an awesome senior high ministry, you've got to have an awesome junior high ministry. Hey guys, if you're listening and you find this content useful and helpful, please give us a five-star rating um, and a review and a positive review. Again, this helps out the podcast. And again, I'm super excited also for next week. We're going to be interviewing someone that I've been wanting to talk to for a while, resource that I use, um, the co-founder of this resource. So I'm not going to spill the beans who I'm talking to just yet. You just got to make sure that you tune in to next week's episode.